How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me, as always, will be my good friend, Frank Men. This is going to be part two of our three-part Memorial Day mailbag. And we were thinking about breaking it up even further because this is going to be a long podcast. This is probably going to be about an hour and 15 minutes or so. And we could have split this into two. uh, But in the second half of this podcast, we're going to talk about the GM situation and how all of that is kind of going down. So we wanted to make sure we got it out just because you never know what could happen. There could be new names announced. There could be a new discussion of the parameters of what they're looking for. There could be discussion of the president of basketball operations versus the GM or how Justin Zanuck might go uh, forward with this team. So there, there could be a lot of different things. And we were worried that if we waited another day and split this up into a four part, uh, I guess it would be the same length, but a four-day kind of release on this. We were worried that things might become a little bit stale. So we're going to do a three-parter. This is going to be very long, and I know we normally try to keep it to half an hour, so I apologize for that. But maybe I don't because we're giving you a bunch more content anyways. So uh, this is going to be the second part of a three-part mailbag. We finish up some of our talk about the roster and kind of expectations for Giannis next year and some of those questions kind of about the roster and the players and uh, kind of this offseason. Then we segue into GM talk about halfway through. Uh, And then in the final part, the third part that we will release uh, later this week, we're going to talk NBA draft. Uh, We had some questions about that as well so one thank you to to you guys for giving us all these questions for this mailbag because obviously we can't i mean we could create all these questions ourselves but we never really know what what people are thinking so thank you for interacting with us on twitter and letting us know kind of what you wanted to hear about so one thank you we really do appreciate it and two i think we can just kind of get into it here um and then finally three Today's podcast can be brought to you by SeatGeek, and our good friends at SeatGeek have our promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S, again, L-O-Bucks for Lockdown Bucks. Still going. It's not basketball season, or I, I should say it still is basketball season with the finals, but not Bucks season anymore, but they're still letting that promo code go. So if you use that promo code, you'll get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase, and again, that promo code is L-O-B-U-C-K-S, L-O-Bucks. All right. Let's get it in in the mailbag, and I think that should be about it. Hope you guys enjoy it. Andre Gelfi Thomas asks, expecting Giannis to be an all-star next year, what other expectations do you have for Giannis? Mids and all-star next year, question mark. I don't know. What do you think, Eric? How much better can we hope Giannis to be next year, and who's going to – is anybody come, going to come close in terms of making that all-star leap? Um, I mean, I think if you're thinking of expectations for Giannis, it has to be top five MVP finisher, right? Like, that would be the next role. If he's going to go from 
where he was this year now to a second team All NBA and All Star starter. I feel like the logical next step would be a, a top five MVP finisher. And again, I would want to say first team All NBA, but obviously we understand how good the the league is and how I guess the caliber of player you'd have to be to get to that spot. And and again, I think those are where your expectations should go that Giannis should be one of the five best players in the league next year. It's just very hard to crack into uh that group. Uh, obviously we saw this year where there was an MVP race that didn't really include LeBron James or the last MVP winner Steph Curry and you have three more guys that popped in there with uh with Leonard and Harden and Westbrook. So there's a ton of super talented players in the league, but I do think that would be kind of the next expectation and I guess selfishly that means the team would do well as well that if he is able to finish in the top five of the MVP that means your team is adding 10-ish wins like you'd have to be a 50-win team to be in that conversation uh so I think for me that would probably be my expectation and uh as far as Middleton being an all-star I don't think so like I I think at this point there's the east has probably gotten a little bit too strong like if he was gonna hit it would have been maybe last year like when or even the year before that like when I mean we flirted with a Brandon Knight all-star like candidacy and <laughs> Brandon Jennings too remember he are you know what I mean like every, there, there was gets hurt. like there's a spot where the Eastern Conference was bad enough where that could happen and I just don't know if that that's time still exists for Chris Middleton but I do think obviously you you would hope that Middleton goes back to being the guy that's averaging close to 19 a game rather than uh, obviously he only plays 29 games and comes back from a hamstring injury and averages 14 and a half points per game but you would think you'd want to see him get back to uh, being that 19 point per game guy and maybe flirting with 20 points I think that would be the expectation for him but for Giannis I, I certainly think it's top five MVP would be his expectation now for I don't know we're getting into that peak prime time so that's going to be the next five years or so right like that should be the expectation for him yeah i I think from an award standpoint um you know if if the bucks can improve right if if the bucks can crack 50 wins and Giannis is you know similar slash marginally better than he was this year then i think you will see him um and and i think brian windhorst said you know and and others said that they had him at number five in the MB, their MVP ballots this year. So um, you certainly would expect to be a top 10 MVP vote getter this year. Uh, and and yeah, I think it's a reasonable goal for next year to be top five. I think the narrative of you know a young guy that everybody really wants to love and who's on an up-and-coming team, clearly the best player on that team, um, if somehow, and I, I don't know, we'll see, the idea of the Bucks getting to 50 wins, I'm, I'm still not comfortable with that idea just because we've sort of been in this spot so many times. I um, totally agree. Uh, I'm just saying, if yeah, he's gonna yeah. be top five. Well, MVP that's how it would happen. Yeah, like, that would happen. Yeah, be. I, I agree. That's probably how it would, ha- would have to happen. Um, and and you know, the voters love narratives, right? Like if the Bucks go to 50 wins and um, they're one of the top, you know, two three teams in the East, for instance, that that would obviously be big. Uh, and as far as Middleton goes, actually, let me get back to Giannis. What what can he improve at? I mean, his scoring actually went down after Jabari got hurt. He was, I think, 22 points per game after the All-Star break, 23.4 before the All-Star break, which is kind of interesting because obviously Jabari was a 20-point scorer before the All-Star break, before the injury. Um, 
and Chris was was not, you know, obviously at his his full capacity um, offensively. So kind of interesting that Giannis saw his his scoring dip a little bit. Um, I, I think, you know, again for for him statistically, I think uh, obviously if he improves and gets more conf- excuse me confident from three point range, that that would certainly help. Um, but again, I'm I'm again not assuming that there's gonna be some some big leap there. I think that'll be interesting to see. And uh, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know if his his numbers are gonna like leap through the stratosphere, but I think certainly he's capable of of scoring more points. And especially if Greg Monroe leaves, I mean, they will need him to score more points because I think again, not just the points that Monroe provides, but just sort of the attention and you know how much of sort of the Bucks second unit offense ran around Monroe. Um, he's really kind of some training wheels that I think they will miss if he departs offensively. So I think that'll be interesting to see. Um, as far as Middleton, I'm looking at the all-star roster for the East this past season. And in terms of like wings, guys that, you know, Middleton at health, when he's healthy would be competing against um, the starting wings, Jimmy Butler, DeMar DeRozan. Um, I'll ignore LeBron and Giannis because he's not going to be in that category. Uh, and then other sort of, you know, Melo's more of a 4-3 guy, but Melo was an all-star last year. Paul George was an all-star last year. Uh, and then you just had a ton of point guards um, with Lowry, Isaiah, Kemba, and John Wall all on the bench in addition to Kyrie Irving starting. Um, so it's difficult because there's so many point guards that that those guys probably suck up maybe one, maybe two sort of swing spots. And you also have a guy like Brad Beal who's out there who would be kind of a natural comp for a guy like Middleton. So my guess is unless the Bucks just were winning tons of games and you know Middleton was sort of you know got the second banana to Giannis sort of like head nod basically um I think it'd be hard for him to to make an all-star team I don't know I just don't I don't think Chris is necessarily ever going to get quite to that level I just don't know if he's going to put up the raw numbers um but you know again I've heard a few people make reference to the fact that that Giannis uh, Chris and, and Jabari haven't really played together but they all average 19 points per game. Basically, like the exact, they average like 18.8, 18.8, 18.9, or something like that, um, playing together after the All Star break. Um, not this past season, but the year before. Um, and and I mean, they played before that together as well. When Jabari sort of in that first half of the season was kind of coming back a little bit more slowly. So we've seen them all play at a pretty high level together. Um, unfortunately, next year, you know, I don't think we're going to see full speed Jabari at all. Um, we'll see when he comes back if that happens around the all-star break, but might be a similar situation in terms of like, you know, timing as, as with Chris kind of coming around right before the all-star break. And then, um, uh, I don't know, he's obviously going to be coming off a second major knee injury. So it's tough to see, uh, certainly not a, an all-star <laughs> season next year for Jabari. And, and he's really, so it's really Chris and, and Giannis are the only people you can really even think of as being those, those high level players. Um, next question from Nick Weidert. Nick asks, what offensive system would you run with Giannis? More point Giannis or something where he gets elbow touches, other? Love the pod. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate that. Um, I don't know, Eric. Any any kind of like obvious things that in terms of way Giannis is used that that you would do differently? Or do you think the variety sort of in terms of how he's used is is pretty reasonable at this point in the Bucks offense? I think I'm interested in seeing him run more pick and rolls um, only for my own curiosity, I guess, at this point. Like, I I don't think he's particularly good at it at this point, but I don't see how he can get better if he doesn't start getting some more of those game reps getting to do it. Um, but as far I we've talked about this a bunch of times that 
point Giannis like is great, is fine, everything is is cool with that, but he he's not gonna run a, a James Harden spread pick and roll system. Like that's not him. That that's not something that I don't even think that really uses his skills all that well. Like the the beauty of Giannis and what makes him so great is that you can do so many different things with him. So uh, I think a lot of the elbow touches are great for him. I think putting him on the block. I think making him the screener in pick and rolls. I think uh, making him the ball handler in pick and rolls. Doing a bunch of different things with him is great. So I, I don't know how that necessarily fits into an offensive system. I think the big thing for me is... I wish they would do more stuff on the backside of really any action they run, whether that's Middleton posting up, whether that's Giannis posting up, whether that's Giannis with an elbow touch. Like, I just wish the the backside would be a little bit more creative. Um, but other than that, I feel like with Giannis, again, I would, for my own curiosity, I'd like to see some more pick and rolls. But I don't necessarily know that that would be the best thing for him to be in a spread pick and roll offense. I think there are two two different types of pick and rolls I find interesting with the Bucks right now, just in terms of like what they can unlock, and um, they're kind of on the two extremes. I I thought, and again, I don't have any data to back up specifically how the whether how good Giannis was when um, Delhi in particular was was the screener on an inverted, um, you know, pick and roll with Giannis as the ball handler and Delvadova screening. Um, it just seemed like that caught teams off guard a little bit and. It's obviously not something that that many teams run or it's not something that, you you know, it's just like a traditional staple of every offense. Um, so to have, you know, basically your opposing team's power forward or, or uh, three man, um, you know, be screened by a point guard and then have the point guard uh, from the opposing team have to then defend as sort of his guys screening. It's it's not a normal point guards thing. don't show on pick and rolls very right. often. Like that's not a thing that they do. Right. And showing against Giannis on pick and rolls, I find is generally a very, I don't know. It's I mean you can go under on him obviously because he he doesn't like to shoot. Um, but it seems like teams typically like to show on him. And I thought that generally like was surprisingly effective at just sort of like stopping his momentum. But it seemed like. Oftentimes, the confusion of of those inverted pick and rolls, where the point guard is the screener, um, it seemed like oftentimes he would be able to get, especially coming from the left side. Like the, it seemed like they would try to do that really early in sets. Um, Delhi basically comes and and sort of sets a screen, um, sort of facing more towards the center of the court, and Giannis is basically sort of going a little bit to the left, um, and and he's it was oftentimes able to get a crease and get going to the basket, which obviously when he gets ahead of steam. Um, Good things tend to happen for the Bucks, and, and the other one is just we talked about it with Thon having a you know a five who can pop and shoot threes. You know we talked about the elbow gets and and you know having Thon pop from from those or you know having Thon pop from a, a I don't think we really saw much of Thon popping from a high pick and roll with Giannis in particular. I don't know I can't really remember that happening very much. Um, but again, I think the more you can have. Giannis out there with guys who shoot and have those those shooters be involved in the primary actions where they force you know the opponent to either leave Thon and give him an open three that Giannis can find him for or um, you know the guy they have to do a switch or they have to do something where uh, where Giannis is uh, able to uh, you know have a defender be drawn out to the perimeter that's a good thing um, and I should have mentioned with the inverted thing but obviously the other thing is if they switch. Um, an inverted pick and roll, then you've got a small guy defending Giannis. And I think, um, you know, he's shown 
in, improved patience being able to use his size against smaller guys in the block. Um, and the post, I think is something we haven't talked about much, but, um, I do like the idea of trying to get Giannis those, those elbow and, and post touches. You know, you said, talked about the backside. I thought there were a few times, maybe it was in game six against Toronto. Um, they got him pretty deep catches a few times, um, by running kind of like, you know, screens sort of on the backside and, and Giannis flashed and they got him a catch like right on the edge of the, the lane yep. and those kinds of sets. I think mean, you just, you get him so close to the basket with the defense kind of scrambling to, to, you know, get somebody to defend him. Uh, especially if there's a switch of some sort, he's just so such a handful down low. And obviously to the extent that he can get more comfortable with, you know, those little baby hooks, which to me, I, I really, that that's such an important shot. I always talk about it wanting to see him be able to do that more. Um, you can get that shot all day, especially when you get switches, um, you know, get more comfortable with drop steps. You know, we, we see flashes of it, but, but hopefully those are things that, that continue to evolve with him. Um, so next question from Bruce city MD. That's Mike. He asks, and this sort of gets into, um, this sort of gets into kind of some, some like expectations all for next season, which we've talked about a little bit here, but, and I, let me ask, let me give you these sort of together. Cause they're kind of <laughs> two, two, two flip sides, sort of glass half empty, glass half full. Um, so Mike asks, how realistic is it to get past round one with our current roster and or likelihood of getting another star given the cap, given the cap situation? I assume that he's meaning like the not likelihood of getting another star. And then Bucks Nation 34 asks, I don't think it will happen, or at least I don't want it to happen, but what are the chances Bucks take a step back next season? So what so here let, let me ask it this way, Eric. Do you think it's more likely that the Bucks are worse next year in terms of let's say total wins? Or do you think it's more likely that the Bucks get past the first round of the playoffs? Oh man. I really wish I knew what was gonna happen once free agency started. Uh because, again, I don't think we want to think of it this way, but Greg Monroe was really freaking productive this year. And if he decides to opt out, they don't really... We've we've gone over this. Like, they don't really have many cap options. Like, there's not a guy that they can go out to kind of fix that. Um, so that, I guess, to me, kind of swings things for me. Like, that would be if I'm thinking of reasons why they're going to be worse next season, Greg Monroe opting out and them not really being able to fill that hole, that gap would be pretty big to me, despite, uh, I think, seeing internal improvement from a number of guys on this roster. Uh, I think that would be huge, but I I would go with, I think it's more likely that they win a first-round playoff series and get into the second round. Uh, Just thinking about... Thon and the steps that he made as this season went on and the steps I would assume he'll make over the offseason and for next season a healthy Chris Middleton Brogdon taking more steps Giannis getting even better like all of that to me would point to it being more likely that they would get a first round playoff victory uh, next season just be, just because there's so many there's a bunch of young dudes on this roster that are going to continue to get better and also Giannis is freaking incredible so those things to me point that it'd be more likely that they get a round one win are you gonna go the other way because you've seen slightly more bucks disappointment (laughs) than me so i don't i don't know if you're gonna be as easily convinced yeah i mean i I am not at all sold on you know the the leap to 50 wins or anything like that i mean we 
we tried to pump the brakes on that a couple of years ago after the 41 win season. And a lot of people still thought that, you know, that that was very likely. And, and it is ironic that, you know, we were all kind of nervous with the changes when the Bucks basically went young. I mean, after the after the the 41 win season, the Bucks went out and signed uh, actually a, a uniquely young sort of, you know, prime free agent targeting Greg Monroe who was, you know, again, 25 at the time. That is very young for an unrestricted free agent. That is not normal, and that's because he took his qualifying offer, which so few guys on rookie deals do. Um, they get rid of Jared Dudley. They get rid of Zaza. Um, they get rid of Ersan Eliasova. They basically bet on their young guys, and the young guys weren't, you know, I mean, for various reasons, the young guys clearly were not ready for it. Greg Monroe got blamed, obviously, a lot for the defensive backsliding, but I think, you know, we've talked about that was clearly not unique to Greg Monroe's um, in terms of their issues defensively a couple years ago. Um, but I think it is ironic now to hear you say, and I agree with it, you know, if Greg Monroe now leaves, um, what would that mean for the Bucs? And, and, you know, not wanting to overestimate their ability to move on without Greg, um, I think that's a really fair point. Um, and, uh, so, so I don't know. It, it is interesting. I think certainly that move will, will set up a lot. On the flip side, the defensive lineups, they're not huge samples, but the the starting five of, of Thon, Giannis, Middleton, Snell, uh, Brogdon, as well as if you subbed in Delhi for Brogdon, defensively, those were excellent lineups after the All-Star break. The, the overall team defense was was not particularly good. Um, after Jabari got hurt, like the you know the whole myth that like Jabari got hurt and then their defense become became really good, that's not true. Um, but that specific lineup, which has defenders and guys who work and can switch at every position, that should work and it did. Um, so I think if you if you basically have Jabari not involved for the first half of the season and you don't have Greg Monroe, um, I don't know who else is sort of filling out the roster at that point, obviously, but. To me, if that's not a top 10 defense, then, I mean, we've talked about all the questions justifiably around, you know, Sean Sweeney and Jason Kidd's defense. If they can't have a, you know, near elite <laughs> defense with that group, yeah. like, they need to go home. Because I think, like you said, I think offensively they, they may well see, you know, a bit of a reversion. So, you know, but again, if you're the 18th best offense in the league, you know, rather than above average as they were this season, um, but you're a, you know, the sixth or seventh best defense. That's well, then you can still be games. a really good team. Yeah, that's going to win you games. So I think that's the really interesting thing to me. And that that's that's what the thesis would have to be on on if Greg Monroe leaves, you know, especially with Jabari out for a while. You don't have that excuse of like, well, Jabari's bad defensively. So, you know, whatever. Um, th- they better be damn good defensively if uh, if that happens. So um, but to answer to answer the question, I, I think getting past round one. I mean, this is really premised on you're you're pretty good in the regular season that you get a favorable matchup. Ideally, you you know crack let's say fourth or I don't know third, depending on what happens with Toronto um, and Washington, and then you take care of business in the first round rather than having to again kind of be a road team in the first round and have to upset somebody. Um, and that's obviously not a slam dunk, even if I think that should be the goal for the team this coming season. Um, so. I don't know. I mean, getting past the first round, maybe it's like a 25% thing. Um, and it's not to say that it shouldn't be the expectation or the goal, but just a lot of stuff has to happen. And, you know, again, there's there were all these questions about Jason Kidd. We don't know who the team's general manager is going to be. We don't know what they're going to do in the summer. You know, it's really just Giannis. And you never want to bet against Giannis, but 
um, by the same token, I don't think Giannis is at the point where just automatically on his own, he can carry you to 50 wins, right? And, you know, if Chris Middleton slips on another wet spot and tears a hamstring at the end of September, you know, stuff happens and, and you just hope the guys are healthy and you hope Jabari gets healthy. But, um, but yeah, I think, I think maybe there's a 25% chance they lose, they, they win fewer than 42 games and maybe around an equal chance that they make it past the first round of the playoffs. But I think they're a lot closer than unfortunately we, we may might like to hope. So that was not an answer. Um, well, I said maybe 25% chance they take a step back. I guess I didn't answer my question for you. Correct. That, that um, was what I was I'll say, I'll say. I'll say it's a 5% better. I'll say there's a 30% chance the Bucks make the second round of the playoffs <laughs> and a 25% chance I'll they're worse. It. How about that? How about that? I'll take that okay. as an answer. All right. Uh, up next from Greenlight Machine, um, would you agree this is or could be one of the more interesting slash important off seasons in recent memory? And... I'll just send that one to you, and then I can reply after that. I feel like we say that every off season, so I want to begin with that caveat that every summer feels like the most important summer because um, you're either nowhere close to contending and you have to find your star or you have to figure out something really important because you, you know, you're at the bottom or whatever it might be, or you're in sort of like where you are now where you feel like you're at an inflection point where you could actually have a path to being a great team and you're not there yet and you got to really figure out a way to kind of juice your odds a bit. Um, so, but I do think legitimately, it's certainly one of the more interesting in the sense that, um, you know, we've talked all summer about, I think the Monroe and Snell decisions are really interesting. Um, they're not on the order of, you know, Giannis and Chris Middleton, new contract type, type decisions, obviously, but those are obviously going to be very important. And we just talked about, you know, what kind of impact that might have on the team. Um, and certainly just, you know, not knowing who the general manager is going to be. I think I think this is a really big question. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute. But I think that's a really big – it's going to be a huge decision. You know, it's going to have a big effect on the next few years. So, um, so yeah, I think it's one of the more interesting certain in, in recent memory. Um, and part of that is just because, I again, I don't think the teams had as direct a path to legitimate contention as previously. But they're still far enough away that – you know, they can't just kind of put it in cruise control and just say, like, well, just keep keep what you got. You know, and I, I think they're probably going to have something very similar to what they had this year. And as we said, probably have to rely a lot on internal improvement. Um, but again, it, it feels like they got to find they got to find some way to get another very good young player. And it's probably going to be either a guy they draft or some kind of random trade they make, whatever it might be. But they have to unearth sort of like another like good rotation guy, I think, to really kind of like you know, again, sort of give themselves an even better chance in the long term. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I think it's going to be important. Um, but I also am wary of just sort of saying that every summer. Before Hammond left, I would have said important, not all that much. Like I don't, as you were talking about before, you had said the the goal of kind of a summer is do no harm. And with as capped out as the Bucks already are, like I'm struggled to, struggling to think of moves that they could make that could be actively very harmful. And then in the same way, like with being so capped out, like I don't think there's really a ton of moves they can make period. Like they just don't have the ability to make that move. So I don't know how uh, important I feel like would mean it's swaying the team in one direction or another. And I don't necessarily feel that this off season would be that because Again, I don't. I don't think there's a whole lot they can really do 
this offseason, so I struggle to see how it could end up being super important. Um, interesting, though, I I do find it very interesting. Yeah. I'm, as I've said a bunch of times, I'm totally fascinated by Monroe's decision-making. I'm totally fascinated by uh, Jabari and whether or not they think they could get him so cheap that they should sign him to an extension now before even seeing him get on the floor. Uh, I think Tony Snell, seeing where his money is, is very interesting. Uh, obviously, who the Bucks' new GM is now, very interesting. So um, I, I think all of the interesting and important stuff now feels more so since Hammond left. Before Hammond left, I feel like it would have just been a summer of, okay, get through it get done with it and move on to the next year because uh, like I said like I, I just don't really I don't see a lot of things that they can do like, like they're kind of dependent on other teams and other people to make their decisions for them because they're going to be waiting on Greg they're going to be waiting to hear from Jabari and his camp and whether or not they're all that interested in extension they'll be waiting to hear if some team offers Tony Snell some contracts. So those are all things that they're kind of waiting on. Um, So I'll say interesting. I'm not as convinced on important. Okay. Um, Here's, here's something that speaks more to, um, to interesting than important. Uh, Bill Booper, thrill. Will 95 asks over under on 10 nationally televised games to the bucks next year, not including NBA TV and by the way, before before I make you answer this, so I just looked up. Uh, this includes NBA TV, ESPN, and ABC. So I, I don't know exactly um, uh, how many um, you know how many are, are from NBA TV. But the Warriors led the league this year, twenty eight appearances on national TV. Um, but some interesting teams behind them: the Bulls were fourth with twenty five. The Knicks were a couple spots back, twenty two. Um, the Lakers had 15, Blazers 14, um, Timberwolves, Pacers 11, um, Bucks only three. And I think that this is before they added a couple of Bucks games, maybe later in the year. So I don't know. What say you? Let's include NBA TV for the moment, just because I don't know how much how, many, how much is, is broken out between ABC and ESPN here. But um, I don't know. What kind of bump do you think the Bucks are going to get next year in terms of their national televised games? I think this year with NBA TV, didn't they have eight? Maybe maybe I'm making that up, but I I feel like it was seven or eight this year. So if I'm including NBA TV, I will take the over. If I'm not including NBA TV, I will take the under and feel very good about it. Um, just because I just don't see any way that they get ten games on ESPN, ABC, TNT um, next season. Again, they're up and coming, etc. But as you kind of rattled off there, as you're going over the numbers for teams that actually get those games, well, market size has a whole lot to do with it. Um, and the Bucks will never have a, a large market. So that would be pretty much based on Giannis taking the leap and them wanting to publicize and market Giannis as much as possible. And I'm not 100% sure that they'll actually make that commitment. Yeah, I mean, I think they'll get a bump just because there is so much buzz around, around Giannis and this is a an up-and-coming team. But, you know, think about it this way, too. A lot of this is driven sort of, you know, you can't really steal national TV appearances from the Lakers very easily just because you're talking about Pacific time games versus, you know, central time slash eastern time games. So the Cavs are still going to get the most of any Eastern Conference team. Um, the Celtics will still get a ton. They had 22 this year. So the question to me is, you know, 
can you get a bunch of those Bulls and Knicks games, I guess, because those are sort of at least, you know, somewhat in the time bracket where you might be able to steal games. Um, and I don't know. I mean, but I think the Bucks will see a, a, a decent bump. Um, I mean, if they were eight this year, I could certainly see them getting like, I don't know, 15, something like that next year. Um, so so I don't know. I think you'll see a lot more Bucks. But uh, again, obviously, market size um, is not that doesn't help you. But by same token, Oklahoma City Thunder, Kevin Durant leaves. Um, you know, we didn't know that that Westbrook would do what Westbrook did. We knew he was going to be big. Um, he had they had 22 going into the season. So they were still a, a team that had a lot of, um, you know, big time games, uh, despite the fact that, you know, nobody thought they were going to be a title contender and they weren't a title contender. So speaking of big time games, Frank, that's exactly what SeatGeek can get you into. They have the tickets for Literally everything. It does not matter what you're looking to go to. If that is a concert, if that is an NBA Finals game, if that is a Milwaukee Brewers game, if that is a Green Bay Packers preseason game, whatever it may be, SeatGeek has you covered. And they find the best seats in all of those venues through their algorithms. They get every seat pretty much on the internet. No matter what site you're looking for, they go out, find it, Put it all in one place for you. All you all you have to do is open up the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com and you can check it out on your computer there as well. And as we've talked about a number of times, they grade the tickets for you. They let you know if you're getting a good deal, a bad deal, or just an okay deal. And it's color-coded. It's very easy to use. And it's just a great app and a great service. And obviously, we use it all the time. We've been talking about it uh, this entire year. And it, we cannot recommend it enough. And also, we have a great promo code for you. It's our promo code for Lockdown Bucks. It's L-O-B-U-C-K-S. Again, L-O-Bucks. And to enter that promo code, it's really simple. Download the SeatGeek app. Then go to the Settings tab. Go to your choice. Enter a promo code. Enter promo code L-O-B-U-C-K-S. And you get a $20 rebate on your first SeatGeek purchase. Again, that's L-O-B-U-C-K-S. L-O-Bucks for Lockdown Bucks. And that gets you a $20 rebate on your very first SeatGeek purchase. And if you've already used it, as I always say, just go back to the site anyways. They're going to have great deals for you, and they're going to find the best way to get you in. And I think, Frank, I think it's time to segue into our next topic. Moving into the next phase of these questions, uh, I put this under the GM slash president of basketball operations uh, heading. These are all sort of related to um, sort of front office machinations. Uh, and I, maybe I'll start by saying like, Especially, I think if you casually follow this, um, it's probably confusing some of the titles that get thrown around because, you know, like the Bucks historically have had a GM. They have not. I'm trying to think if they've ever had a guy who was called the president of basketball operations, which is, you know, sort of a more prestigious version, basically, of of a GM. Except if you have a president of basketball operations then you oftentimes also have a GM, but that GM is less powerful than a GM who doesn't have a president of basketball operations over him. So all this kind of confuses stuff. Um, but just at least for period, people's background and, um, Jay at J rat, he asked, um, if a big name came in for GM and wanted a president role, would that likely replace Fagan or would we have two presidents just to be real clear? And I, and I said this on Twitter as well, P- Peter Fagan's all on the business side. So he's president, but again, he's not doing anything with basketball related sort of decisions. Um, you know, again, he's doing the business stuff. If, you know, David Griffin came in and demanded to be team president, get paid a bunch of money, and the Bucks actually signed a guy like that. 
he's not going to do anything to change Peter Fagan's role on the business side. So, you know, it's really just kind of a terminology thing. But um, in any case, I'll get to the first question here. Charlie Saturday, our friend Charlie Saturday, uh, asked, was the initial Woj report about Zanuck as GM in waiting, quotes around GM in waiting, was that incorrect or have the Bucks reneged on an agreement? Uh, Charlie also asked who is playing summer league. Maybe we can put that aside for a moment, but I don't know, Eric, like what, I mean, we've talked at, at, at length now about what the Bucks may and or may not have promised Justin Zanuck and was it official, unofficial, blah, blah, blah. I mean, I, I don't know. How are you kind of parsing this as far as what was real and what was handshake? And I don't know. What were you kind of, how would you answer that? Well, I think most of the time what I look for is a, a triangulation among sources. And again, that was the initial Woj report. And then we kind of went along with that for the year that Justin Zanuck was here. But then also in the last week, Mark Stein was reporting GM and waiting Justin Zanuck. And they're, they're, uh, Woj reported it this week. And I'm trying to think who else would have. I'm trying to. I think there was someone else. I can't think of it right now. But either way, like that was a term not just used by Woj, but used by other people. And again, Stein and Woj don't tend to kind of just use each other like they have their own sources and they have their own people so um i would i don't think the gm in waiting report is inaccurate uh, i don't think that was incorrect i think that was uh what the organization's plan was as far as have they reneged on an agreement well i don't think they could do that until they hire a gm that's not justin zanuck um Maybe they, they're not going about this the best way by not just immediately making him the GM, but I would, I guess, suppose that you could go through some mental gymnastics of saying, well, we wanted to be thorough, we wanted to make sure that we found the guy that we liked, and Justin was that guy, but we did want to see if there was other candidates, and he ended up being the best candidate, and we hired him, and then technically I don't think they would because the GM in waiting still became the GM. So um, I guess, like I said the other week, it's strange that uh, the job has been opened up, especially when we were told that he he was the GM in waiting. Um, But again, we'll see, and I guess we'll maybe hear who, who comes in for these, these interviews and who they're trying to talk to and who, they might actually take a look at, but ultimately, maybe it is Justin Zanuck. I think I've said on Twitter before, and I think I said it last week, but I think Zanuck is still the, to me, the overwhelming favorite to be the Bucks next GM. Um, but it looks like they're going to do their due diligence and go through this and see what they can figure out. Yeah, my my guess is there are enough shades of gray here that you know both sides can sort of have it have it their way. Let's say, um, you know, th- there was some. I would I would say this. I mean, I think a year ago when when Zanuck came on board, the sort of GM in waiting idea, you know, was was put out there, and there were some sort of like soft kind of like, well, eh, you know, but, but there was nothing kind of really strongly push pushing back against that. And you know, ultimately, I mean, look look at what we do know. We know we've heard it from from Nate Duncan reported this, and Gary Wolf said it as well that Zanuck has in his contract that he's going to get paid like basically a, a, a lead decision maker. Um, and I think it was like the way Nate Duncan phrased it was that after a couple of years, which is basically the idea of after Hammond would, would leave. So I don't know if he's going to be paid like that this year. 
but he would he's going to get paid like a GM eventually. So that would suggest that the intention was that Justin Zanuck would become general manager. Um, obviously, there were all these people talking about it that way. And, you know, Zanuck probably doesn't leave, you know, another assistant GM job if he doesn't feel like he has at least a better chance at it. And the Bucks clearly had not really any, you know, overwhelming interest in keeping John Hammond long term because they gave him only that one year extension. And then clearly they were fine with him leaving for um, again, a job where he is not the final decision maker in Orlando, right? It's not like he took a job where he is the only guy making, you know, he has the final decision. He's working Correct. for Jeff Weltman now. So, um, there are many reasons to think that the Bucks were setting themselves up for Justin Zanuck to be the general manager. And it seemed like that was the assumption when you, you know, you talk to people's reactions when he was not named general manager was a lot of surprise. And a lot of like, wow, the Bucks really didn't go about this very well. And I think that's the main thing, right, is either you you did and, you know, either that was your plan and now you're kind of going back on it. And, you know, technically you may, you know, you may never, never had it in writing that he was absolutely going to be the general manager once John Hammond left. Um, or maybe you thought that was going to be a year later than it actually was. But again, even if if you didn't plan to make him the general manager, then what was your plan, right? And you were just basically sitting around waiting for John Hammond to leave with, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it, it doesn't look like it was very well thought through either way. And to me, that's, you know, that that's the challenge. And this has been, as we said, I think for the Bucks ownership, they've gotten a ton of stuff right and they've made huge strides with this organization. But the, the big issue for them is we just, they've been super indecisive about what they want to do with the basketball decision-making hierarchy and this is now their chance to to make that decision. And, and I think that's what's really interesting. And we can get in some more questions here um, that, that are related to that. Um, Kurt Leidinger asks, why are owners cheap when paying for GMs but totally cool with their GMs paying Miles Plumlee $12 point million per? Let's <laughs> offer RC Buford $20 million over five years already. I mean, this is a great point, right? Like, it, it is funny how general managers in particular often get paid, you know, typically get paid way less than coaches even as well. Um, even though oftentimes simply the coach reports to the GM, it, it's, it's weird, right? That, that, you know, especially cause there's no salary cap on, on GMs, right? I mean, you can pay them whatever you want. Um, so it is interesting how, how good GMs, you know, typically aren't valued that highly. And, and maybe that also says something about the position that it's not a one guy thing, right? That one guy doesn't magically, um, turn around your franchise. Um, I'll say this typically about RC, uh, generally about RC Buford. So RC Buford, the Spurs, he's technically, I believe, the president of like, like Spurs Entertainment or something like that. Like he's, I think, technically is like in charge of like the women's team there as well and, and all this other stuff. And I think Popovich is technically president of basketball operations. So it's a weird, it's a weird structure they have there because Pop hired Buford like in the I think '94 or something like that. Like Buford was actually in San Antonio in the late '80s left with Larry Brown, then came back when Pop became sort of like started running basketball ops in the mid-90s. And, you know, now he's sort of like the head of basketball ops, but clearly Pop does not report to him. So it's sort of a weird dynamic. And uh, the obvious question is, well, you know, if you if you think you can go get R.C. Buford by paying him $5 million a year, why don't you go get Pop while you're at it? Because um, clearly there's, there's a lot of interdependence between all those guys. Um, but, I mean, I think fundamentally – it's weird. I look back. First off, I can't find anything talking about what R.C. Buford gets paid. And I can't 
find any evidence that he's ever considered going elsewhere. And I have to think that if the Bucks wanted to go get R.C. Buford, they are not the first team that ever thought of trying to do that. Um, so I did find one example where when the Sonics were, sorry, when the Kings were on the verge of being sold to the Seattle group, that the Seattle group wanted or had some rumor that they wanted to get R.C. Buford and, you know, nothing like there was no indication that that was actually ever going to happen. But um, but I think the bottom line is R.C. Buford specifically, I don't know why he would ever leave San Antonio. If he had some leverage, I'm sure the Spurs would just pay him more money. Um, he's an institution there. Everything works so well. I mean, why would he come to Milwaukee? Don't tell me because Giannis is great. Like, I don't think that matters that much. Um, but I think if you want to get R.C. Buford, you probably would need to give him way more money. And I don't even think that probably would interest him. But um, but I think it is an interesting question about um, about, you know, can you go get those those big name GMs? And the other thing, too, is if he's under contract, the Spurs can also just say we're not going to let him interview. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, what's what's your broad take on that? Should should general managers get paid more? Are there a lot of GMs out there that you would say that guy's worth, you know, a ton of money. Just go throw, you know, go, go back up the Brinks truck too and, and see if you can get him. Isn't that, I mean, I think that's ultimately the question at the core of this idea is should you pay a GM that much? Because I guess the way I view a GM is that they're overseeing an entire basketball operation, like, or if it's a president of basketball operations job, like that's what they're doing. So for them to be good, they probably need to have a good eye for talent, all these other things, but they also need to have a good eye for the talent picking the talent, and they have need to have a good idea for how to put this all together, and they need to hire good people in those roles. So I, I think the the big thing is, is like this isn't this isn't LeBron James where you're getting the best basketball player in the world. There might be someone that we think is the best GM in the world, and maybe that is R.C. Buford. But are you totally sure that if you take R.C. Buford out of that situation and put him into your situation, that he's going to be able to find the, all the right people, that he's going to be able to find the organization that he needs, that he's going to be able to make all of these things happen for your organization? I don't think there's, there's that guarantee. And, and I think that would probably scare a, a lot of a lot of powerful people, a lot of basketball, the, the owners of basketball teams would think, okay, I'm giving this person too much power by paying them such a high amount and paying them way more than anyone else would give them because that, to me, shows that this person is excellent and we uh, have paid so much and invested so much in you that you need to kind of save our franchise and now if we want to fire you, well, we look stupid because we paid you all this money. And you already brought up one great point with the giving R.C. Buford 20 over 5. I don't think there's any way on earth that's enough money. I think it's got to be 40 over 5. Like, like it, has, it has to be an insane amount of money to convince R.C. Buford to leave the structure that he knows, the organization that he knows. And, and like you said, and we talked about this last week, great players are awesome for a GM. You know what's better? Money. You know what else is better? <laughs> a shit ton of power. Like, those two things are so much better. Give me the worst team on earth as long as you're going to give me all the money and all the power and I get to run things exactly how I want to run them. Like, I, if you're hiring me for that and you're going to give me all that money and power, do you think I have the self-esteem to think I can turn any team into a winner? 
I would think so. So I just think that's kind of a misconception to me about these GM jobs is that I don't think the roster matters. If you're listing off things that matter, I think the roster is very low uh, on the things that matter to a GM as they're trying to figure out where they should go. Um, so to me, I, I just don't, I don't know how you make yourself attractive enough to uh, one of these top GMs, and I don't even know who that that would be, like Masai Ujiri, um, Danny Ainge, R.C. Buford, Sam Presti, Daryl Morey. Like, you have to create uh, an environment and a situation so attractive for these people, and, and it just doesn't really seem to be possible to me. And then also, if you are bringing one of these people, they don't want to be the GM. They want to be the president of basketball operations. Like, Masai left his job so he could go be president of basketball operations and then hire a GM. So not only are you investing all this money in in whatever person that you, you think that you're pulling out here, that person probably wants to be president of basketball ops. So say you pay R.C. Buford 4 to $5 million a year, you're then going to pay a GM two, three million million a year as well. Like, that person is going to want all that again money and power that that is what those people what that position wants um so again like i i get the idea of paying even more for gms and going over the top for this again like i understand that idea but it's it just not really how business has been done in the nba and then on top of that you're talking about someone with a different organization the the spurs can tell you no and that's it. That, that's the end of the conversation. Like We saw that with the Magic and the Hawks. They wanted to talk to David Griffin. The Cavs said no. And that was pretty much that. It, so, uh, again, th- there's a lot of moving parts here. Um, and I, I don't think it would be as easy as saying, hey, R.C. Buford, would you like a five-year, $20 million contract? And he's going to say, yep, okay, I'm done with the Spurs. Let's go, Bucks. I just don't see that happen. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think the Kurt's general point of, you know, that that it is weird that players get so massive, like like marginal players get overpaid, and then you know, r- relative to some of these like great front office people who seem to have much more last, lasting effect. I think that's a really, I I can't explain it to be honest. Neither can like, I. I totally I, agree. Like I yeah, I like, totally get where the point is coming from. Yeah. Um, I think then to to but then to sort of like I think the challenge is that you can't just buy culture, like like these guys don't move and it's and I, I don't know like I, and I don't know what it would take. I mean, R.C. Buford's an adult. Like he lives in San Antonio. He's lived there for twenty years. He's won five championships. Like, do you really want to go move to Wisconsin because of a new challenge to go try to build up a new organization? Like, I don't think most people probably even think that way. I, I don't know. I mean, some guys do. But if you already have all that power and you're so successful and you have this great working relationship and you can do no wrong, it's sort of like, eh, I'm good, you know? Um, and if you really want more money, like, you can probably just extract. I mean, the Spurs could pay him as much as the Bucks could. And, yep. you know, there's there's no indication at this point that the Bucks are waving around, you know, $10 million to, you know, get their, their you know, superstar team president or something like that, right? Um, I mean, for the, the irony is that I, and I don't know if I don't think anybody comes close to this, but Phil Jackson is getting paid twelve million dollars a year to be, frankly, a pretty bad uh, president of basketball <laughs> operations in New York. Um, but that was obviously a name brand thing because he's Phil Jackson. 
Um, and he also has a GM. I think Steve Mills is technically the GM there. Um, Masai Ujiri doesn't have a general manager anymore because Jeff Weltman was his general manager, ironically. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting thing. And I don't know if that, I don't think that stuff matters as much because I don't know. I mean, like, does Masai being president versus Jeff Weltman being GM, like, is how much of that is a, how much of that is, is, you know, um, in a normal team, like, you can call a guy a, a president of basketball operations and have a GM rather than a GM and assistant and, GM. And that's the way but I you can't, it, yes. Yeah, but, like, obviously you got to pay to have a guy that's actually good at it. And Masai is obviously a guy who, who they had to pay a lot of money. I don't know what they're paying him, to be honest, but but they obviously had to give him a raise and give him more power to to move from Denver to um, Toronto. So, I mean, I think, the, I, I think the most important thing, though, is the whatever direction the Bucks go in, and I've already said it, like, I think Zanuck is the guy who I think seems the most likely. I would definitely take Justin Zanuck over the field at this point. I mean, we don't know really what the Bucks are doing. I mean, we've heard this suggestion of interest in David Griffin. Great. He probably stays where he is. Um, I, I don't know. Who else is like a superstar team president type guy that you can get? I, I don't know who that guy is. Like nobody who is available really comes to mind because if you're good at it, you're generally going to be employed. Um, so I, I just don't think they're going to find the splashy option. And I also don't know, I mean, again, like, you know, Kurt mentioned the money. I don't know what the money would have to be, you know, and there may not be a price on a guy like RC Buford or some of these yeah. other guys, David, even David Griffin. Right. Um, I, I, are you going to outspend Dan Gilbert for David Griffin? I don't know. I don't know if you want to, to be honest. Um, so I think what that means is I think it's a very good opportunity for Justin Zanuck because he is the GM. And he's got a chance to kind of show every day now going through the draft process what, you know, how he works, how he runs the front office. And, you know, this it's kind of similar to what happened with John Hammond when uh, the Bucks were sold uh, a, a few years ago. Right. I mean, John Hammond didn't really know what was going to happen to him, um, but he was he was a GM until somebody else said he wasn't. And obviously they they decided in, I think, July of that year, basically, they were going to move forward with him, even with all the jason kidd craziness moving forward so and um, i was gonna say i wanted to mention one more thing and with not paying gms a lot like i think there's probably at least some belief around the league that you can find your rc buford like you can find your greg popovich you can find your bob myers you can find your danny Ainge. you can find your daryl morey and you go down the line with all these guys and they come from all different backgrounds. They come from, they have very different resumes. And it's just interesting because uh, I was starting to think too, like when you said like who would be those people, I've had a number of people ask me like who are candidates for the GM and who, who could that person be? And like, I just want to give them the shrug emoji. I don't know. It, it could be it could be literally anyone. It can be guys from the business side of things. It can be former players. It can be current assistant general managers. It can be someone else's GM. It can be former GMs. Like you can grab these guys from a million different places, and we've seen GMs kind of have success coming from different places. Sometimes they come from out of nowhere. Sometimes they come from the business sector. Sometimes they come from another great basketball organization and I, I would guess that some reluctance among owners to pay a lot for those positions is probably just the belief that they think they can find someone capable to to do the job that they don't have to pay that much yeah i mean pretty rare for guys to come from the business side i think griffin actually came from more of that side um but he's probably more of an outlier 
I definitely let's just say this. I do not have a lot of faith in the, like a I think what was it was Chauncey Bills was mentioned as like a candidate in Atlanta or something like that. I do not want a yeah. former player. I, I, that scares the hell out of me. And we talked about it, like negotiating deals, like uh, embracing analytics. Like uh, it would scare the hell out of me if they picked a former player. Just, just get just if you tell me they end up with Justin Zanuck as their GM, I'm I'd, I'd be happy at this point. I don't know what else is out there to to your point, um, but we'll see. And and to that point, I, I'll ask. I have one more here from from Charlie. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much do you trust the ownership group to make the right decision? What evidence do us fans have to feel comfortable? You know, it's kind of interesting. I I actually, I, I again, I think Zanuck is the favorite just by virtue of I don't know who else they're going to get. Um, that would be, you know, a bigger name. And I think Zanuck's is, you know, as far as like young up and coming guys, like, He's he's the obvious kind of bird in hand guy that they know. He's very well um, regarded, I would yeah, say. And, the and they're going to be paying him like a GM. So why not just have him be the actual GM rather than, you know, have to fire him or create some weird situation where you're paying him like a GM and he's working for somebody else. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I actually think they're going to get to a good to a good decision. Like, I I think the only thing that would lead them away from Zanuck would be if they could somehow swing like a Griffin or somebody like that, which would, I think would require like a major falling out with Dan Gilbert to even have that be possible. So I don't think that's likely. Um, but as far as like what evidence do his fans have to feel comfortable? I mean, this is the hard part, right? Is it what we've seen so far as like front office stuff? I don't know. I mean, John Hammond, I mean, it's, it's been interesting how like undecisive the bucks have been from an ownership standpoint on, front office stuff in particular because they've been very decisive in pretty much everything else. Um, and this has been sort of the one thing where they've really, I think struggled to sort of like culturally figure out a clear direction. And it began with, you know, keeping kid around, but then going over his head to bring kid in. And again, I, keeping I'm not Hammond sure around, you mean. keeping Hammond around and then bringing kid in with Hammond still around and having like just this super awkward situation where, you know, you just didn't know who was really calling shots for, you know, different moves, things like that. So I think that's the big question. And I think, you know, again, culturally, if you want to get to a good place, um, you know, I'm not saying that you're going to have a situation where the coach doesn't have any input on personnel, but um, I don't know. I, I don't think that the Bucks front office is necessarily going to, or sorry, the, you know, the Bucks sort of decision-making structure is really going to get like really cleaned up and we'll like, you know, feel like we really understand what's going on. And again, that's not, we don't have to understand it perfectly in order for it to work. Like, I don't know. I don't know if we really understand fully how pop versus RC Buford works in terms of decision-making. We do um, not. We just, we just know it works. Right. Correct. Um, but you know, Jason Kidd ain't Greg Popovich and we don't know who the analog to RC Buford is because the Bucks haven't hired that person. So, um, so I, I, I don't know. I just feel like until Jason Kidd is gone on some level, we're just always going to be perpetually trying to figure out like, you know, how all this stuff is weighed. Um, but I, I think it is an opportunity for this team to kind of finally clarify things. And I hope that whoever does get this job gets a pretty broad mandate to kind of have the power to make decisions on things like coaching and things like that, which, you know, is hard because coaches tend to make more money than GMs and uh, the, the power structures in, in the NBA are often strange, but, um, I, I don't know. My, my hope is we get somebody who, you know, I'd be happy if it's Dustin Zanuck, but that that person has a clear mandate to do what they think is right. And 
lead the basketball decision making. And, you know, again, if they're good at their job, they're going to involve other people, including the coach. But um, I just I'm I just don't think I think it would be a bad sign for the franchise um, if we're still having these same kinds of conversations, you know, six months from now. Okay, first, I I think I'm a little bit too young to totally know this, but didn't Pop take over the Spurs in a kind of not great way? Yeah, he fired. I think he fired Bob Hill in the mid '90s and installed himself as uh, as coach. So it was kind of weird. I know that was not considered. Uh, that was a, that was a. I think that was somewhat controversial. I mean, right? Like it was kind of sketchy, right? Yeah, yeah. I was a Spurs fan at the time because I was David Robinson was my guy. So I remember thinking it was kind of weird. Um, but obviously, eventually, it worked out. So again, not to draw parallels, but I'm going to draw parallels. Like it now, it's pops great, but pop did some sketchy stuff to start off. <laughs> like if you if you want to known that. All of a sudden, Tim Duncan's on the team, and he gets a, a Hall of Famer in the year that Dave Robinson gets hurt. Like maybe we just think of, oh, remember that sketchy guy in San Antonio that fired his coach and then decided to be the coach and the GM, and then his team. I guess who would have been in that draft? Like say they draft whoever the flop guy would be of that draft. Like instead of picking Tim Duncan, they pick blank and ron mercer or somebody yeah like it doesn't work out and all of a sudden popovich is just a bullet point as this sketchy guy that was power hungry and just totally ruined this franchise like that could have happened it didn't happen but now because of that like the sketchiness to start kind of gets waved away um so i I don't know i I think all that's very interesting to me because league-wide i just feel like we don't really know those things and again, I feel like there's probably more importance here in Milwaukee, and it feels like a bigger deal to Bucks fans because they're going through it all the time. But I feel like that's probably pretty regular around the league. Like Danny Ainge is the president, but Mike Zarin or Zarin is like his assistant GM, and maybe Mike Zarin's the guy making decisions, and Danny Ainge is just the the face of the of the front office or whatever. Like I feel like this stuff happens all the time. Like I have no idea who was making decisions between Masai Ujiri and Jeff Weltman. I assume it's Masai, but does that mean Jeff Weltman is totally neutered? Does that mean he gets some say? Like Pat Riley is the president in Miami, but Andy Ellisberg is the GM. Did you know that before I just said it? Because never uh, heard of that name before. You probably never have. So like, like I feel like this stuff happens all over the place. And again, Bucks fans should feel more than welcome to question it. Like totally go for it. But I just feel like I, in Milwaukee, I think everyone feels like it's some outlier that everything is terrible, and maybe that is because <laughs> of like kids' stature and kids' kind of cachet, like as being that guy. But I feel like it's it's pretty common to have general questions or I guess just blind spots on decision making structure in basketball organizations but it just feels more important and more real here in Milwaukee so I'll start with saying that and then I guess to answer the question how much do you trust the ownership group to make the right decision shrug emoji I I don't like I just don't I don't know how you answer that question what am I allowed to include in my criteria for whether or not the ownership group should be trusted 
can I include that they kept the team in Milwaukee, that they got an arena built, that on the business and community side of things, they're doing things well? Am I allowed to, am I supposed to count that in the front office, they've had the stuff with Kidd and Hammond, but maybe that stuff's not all that different? Like, uh, I, I think it's totally up to you. Like, if you want to stress out about it and you want to question the ownership group every step they take, totally go for it if you want to remain somewhat skeptical and question things and try to figure out what the thought process was i would say that's probably maybe a little bit more healthy and if you want to blindly trust everything that the organization does go for that too um i I think again it's as i think we often try to suggest and prescribe on this podcast like go for that middle ground go for the gray area like it doesn't have to be all black doesn't have to be all white like find that middle area and so i guess on a scale of one to ten how much do i trust the ownership group six seven like i feel generally positive about the ownership group um but as far as evidence do fans have to feel comfortable i have no idea i don't i don't again i don't know what the criteria would be for for that type of trust and decision making so uh well here here's the thing i would i would say is like if if the bucks had hired you know what what was it rod wasn't rod higgins randomly thrown around as a candidate for the assistant gm job a, a year so. ago like i thought his name was like thrown around which would have been scary because he was basically just sort of michael jordan's best buddy who wasn't an effective gm in in charlotte for a couple of years i mean if rod higgins had been hired instead of justin zanuck I would not have much confidence in in the Bucks sure. ownership group yeah. to make the right decision because whoever the assistant GM was that was sitting around would have been the acting GM and that guy presumably would have had an inside track on the job. Instead, the Bucks, I think, you know, to me, thankfully hired a guy that had a much better reputation as sort of an up and coming guy, the guy who at least who didn't have the stink of the Charlotte Bobcat slash Hornets on his resume. Um, and you know, I think certainly Justin Zanuck being in Utah, I think he saw a lot of good things and and a lot of positive things in terms of how you build a franchise and obviously he was played some role and we don't know exactly like what yeah. you know was was what Justin Zanuck sort of would have done differently or whatever it might be but you know working with Dennis Lindsay that's good pedigree you know yeah. his background as an agent um, everything we've heard about him in the past year all good things. So, uh, like, uh, do I get to also add like, oh, they hired Seth Part now, who we all generally yeah. think is a smart guy. The basketball internet seems to trust. Like, it, can we add that in there as well? So, yeah, I, I think there's there's plenty of stuff on both sides. Like, we've talked about how this kind of process has gone down, and maybe that would make you not want to trust them a bunch. But there's also Justin Zanuck being pretty well regarded so that was a the guy they brought in as assistant gm and they've they've bumped they've bumped up the analytics department that seems like a good basketball ops decision like there's plenty of things there that i think if if you really want to want to be on the low end of that scale of one you could be and if you want to be on the high side of that scale at 10 i think you could be as well but it, it, the i think the truth probably lies somewhere there in the middle let, let me, yeah and i think the thing is like i, I think I think the Bucks would only hire someone other than Zanuck if they were able to get a big name. And and I don't know, totally like for agree. some reason, some reason I don't. I think there are very few guys out there who are going to qualify as big names. And I, until we see other guys like David Griffin, I mean, if they get David Griffin, like I'm not going to sit here and tell you that like that's a bad hire. Like David Griffin is extremely well, you know, very well regarded 
you know, again, a little bit different challenge, obviously, in Cleveland because, you know, he had stars to build with already. Um, and, you know, really what he's done so well is sort of operated on the margins. He hasn't needed to make draft picks, really. They've dealt draft picks. Um, but still, I mean, a guy that was in Phoenix for a long time where, again, they had a lot of success as well. So, um, sure, if it's David Griffin or Justin Zanuck, I feel pretty good, right? Those are the only names we've heard so far. For sure. If we start, if we start hearing random names of dudes who like, <laughs> you know, if, you know, then Billy <laughs> I'm King. joking. Billy, King. <laughs> I, was say, I was say Billy King or Billy Knight, uh, the two Billies. You know, okay, if we heard their names, then I'd be concerned. But I don't, I don't think that that's going to be the case. But, um, but anyway, yeah, I mean, that, that's the way. They, let me let me ask you one question. And I think somebody asked me this, and I don't remember who. Um, apologies, but uh, the name's been kind of thrown around in, in Bucks Internet. Um, how would you feel about Sam Hankey interviewing for the owner? And again, this is not based on any reports or anything like that. Just conjecture of like people throwing out names, you know, uh, that the Bucks would look at. What would what would you think of Sam Hankey interviewing for the Bucks uh, general manager job? Interviewing, I think that'd be cool. I think that would be uh, that would show that there's some. I think in my mind, some open open minds, some innovative thinking, some some belief that you need to kind of cover all of your bases. And I think that Hinky is a guy that a lot of people would think of as a big GM hire. Hiring him, I, I don't know if I would be as excited about that. Um, I, I think there, his next job is going to fascinate me. I'll just say that. Like, if he does find another job as a GM, I do wonder. He's He's, I guess, kind of so often gone for the theoretical ideas that he very much believes in and the practical nature of running a basketball team he's not worried about as much um and i think the theoretical stuff like could all very well work out the sixers could end up being a great team here uh in a couple years because they did hit on all of the picks that he amassed but also it could not work and maybe he'll never get another chance so i don't know i'm i'm fascinated by if he gets another gm job and how that goes I think I'd be equally fascinated and interested to see that the Bucks interviewed him, but I don't know how I'd feel about the Bucks hiring him. What about you? Yeah, same. I mean, I, I, I think sure. If I think if you're trying to hire somebody who, um, I think is has shown that they can be a forward-thinking guy and who's you know on the younger side um, and embraces the kind of things that that we like like analytics and things like that i um, mean again i don't want to pigeonhole hinky or Zanuck or any of these guys is like oh they're analytics guys and then you know let people who hate math like argue against them if they don't succeed right away um but it is weird with hinky because he's had he had such a weird tenure because there was no pressure to win games and in fact obviously the the goal was not to win games for a while there um that you know, the, there were so many moves, obviously, some of these trades where they were unencumbered by, you know, having to have a, a coherent cap where they had a bunch of good players that they had to balance. Um, that part of it, they didn't really, he never really had to deal with. And, you know, he was free to maybe go for trades that a lot of teams maybe didn't feel like they could try for. But he also swindled, you know, the Bucks slash Lakers out of, or sorry, the Bucks slash Suns out of that Lakers pick. Um, cause again, in part because his time horizon was different than the Bucks's um, in the MCW deal. Um, and obviously the Kings trade, uh, you know, where he got 
uh, an unprotected future pick, the pick swap this year, and Nick Stauskas for basically taking on a couple bad contracts. Uh, that was terrific. But again, you know, being the you know first bully to steal the the you know little kids' lunch money, I don't know if <laughs> I don't know how many times you can rob Vlade Divac or <laughs> how many other GMs are as naive as last year's Vlade Divac was. So you know, um, I, I don't know. That might be an artifact of of that situation a little bit, but. Um, and the other piece, too, is, I mean, he really wasn't a good drafter for the most part. You know, he picked MCW over Giannis. Um, he picked Embiid when I thought, you know, it made sense to pick Embiid. Um, and then, obviously, they picked Okafor, and then Okafor turned out to be a dinosaur. And, you know, they were stuck with, obviously, uh, you know, some tough stuff. But they also, you know, they found Robert Covington. Um, uh, you know, they, they've they've hit on some other stuff, and and obviously we'll we'll kind of see what, the current regime does with all those draft picks that he acquired moving forward because they do have a you know a crap ton of of assets that they can use forward. So so I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of the same way. I don't I don't think he'd be a slam dunk or anything like that. And I think the personality. I, I don't know. I I can't tell how much of it's just been sort of caricatured at this point. Um, but you know, again, we haven't really seen any indication that he can necessarily handle the soft side of dealing with agents and having to sign free agents because that was just a zero and like not a priority at all. And on the one hand, we've talked about how that's not really how a team like the Bucks are going to build anyway. But, um, you know, the Sixers were a place that no team, no agents did not want to go to while Kinky was there and became kind of a four letter word, which also is not a good thing. Again, not that that would translate over to the Bucks, but but yeah, I don't know. It, I, I, again, I, I, I'm fine with him being in the discussion, but um, I don't know if I know enough to feel let's say comfortable with the idea of him getting the job over like Zanuck, for instance. Um, let's, let's power into some, Oh, I had one more question. A knucklehead at Wisconsin fan four and four. This one will be a quick one. Am I reading too much into Giannis saying quote to be continued on his post about Hammond? Will he go to the magic? First off, I thought it was a really nice gesture. Giannis, um, uh, Giannis asked this question about, um, or sorry, he posted this thing on Instagram with pictures of him when he was a rookie and pictures when he had signed his extension with uh, John Hammond. Um, It was a really nice gesture because obviously John Hammond was essential in bringing Giannis to the NBA and bringing him to Milwaukee. Um, They obviously had a great relationship, speaks to, you know, the type of person John Hammond is. Um, That said, uh, no, I am not at all worried about Giannis going to the Orlando Magic in a few years. Um, Do you have anything more to add to that? No. I, I would not read anything into that. And like you said, when I saw that post, all I could, it, it was nice that he included the picture of his extension because if I think that would have been, which I guess that would have been one of the very first lockdown bucks we recorded. I remember gushing about what Giannis had to say about John Hammond and what, Hammond had to say about Giannis and the stories of him teaching Giannis how to drive a car and all like that day was just kind of about <clears throat> it was about Giannis and Hammond getting together then signing a contract extension like it was it was like an anniversary like they were celebrating all of their good times together so I thought it was fitting that Giannis had that picture of them at the contract extension as a part of that uh, post. And yeah, it made me again, get into my, my feelings and start to, well, just, you know, get a, get a little dust in the room uh, thinking about it, but no, I to be continued. 
does does not include a move to the magic at the end of his four year one hundred dollar or one hundred million dollar extension. Like that's no, I, I don't think so. One more before we get to draft stuff. Our good friend Jordan Tresky asked. Other factors are in play, but how much do you see the front office shakeup affecting whether the Bucks free agents would want to return? I'm, I'll give it that to you, and then I can respond. Uh, very, I don't think it has much of an effect at all. I mean, I think the only, I don't think it affects the Bucks players' interest in returning. Like, I don't think Greg Monroe is saying, "Oh, John Hammond's not there anymore." Like, I don't, I don't think that really plays much of a factor. I think the big question is, um, does a new GM, Justin Zanuck, or somebody else? Uh, do they have different feelings about some of those players? Like, you know, we listened to John Hammond rave about Tony Snell and wanting to bring him back. You know, would the number that Justin Zanuck or somebody else would want to offer Tony Snell differ substantively from John Hammond? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, my guess is it wouldn't necessarily change that much. Um, that might be the more interesting question. Um, I think Jason Kidd leaving would have a more, like a bigger effect um, just because that's the guy that ultimately the players have to interact with. Um, and I think, I mean, I think kid has, in, you know, interestingly, as much as kid has a lot of enemies, I think sort of among maybe front office and non player types, um, around the league. Um, I don't know. I mean, it seems like obviously a number of players like him, you know, we haven't seen any evidence that, that like Giannis, for instance, has anything, but you know, generally likes Jason kid. Um, Greg Monroe, I don't know so much about. I think Greg Monroe might be the guy that I'd look at who might like Milwaukee more if Jason Kidd wasn't around. They, I don't know, seem to have some friction at times this year. Obviously, the benching and you know him being a uh, a backup and everything like that. But um, but uh, yeah, I don't. I guess the bottom line is I don't think the Bucks front office question marks. I don't think that really affects Greg Monroe's decision particularly um, unless, you know, for instance, Hammond was willing to give him some big contract, some big new contract if he opted out. But I don't, I don't, I certainly didn't get that impression when you guys talked to him. Yeah, I would say the biggest thing would be if the front office gets sh- even more shook up, like if that would mean the coach leaves as well. And yeah, I think Greg might be a little bit more excited to come back to the Bucks if Jason isn't there because obviously... I mean, I I just think it would be human nature for the two years that that Monroe has been here. He's the guy that takes a lot of the blame for the defense the other year, and now this year he's coming off the bench only, and he's I mean for much of the season and uh, no the entire season clearly the Bucks' best center. Um, and again, maybe Thon in the playoffs you could argue differently, but even still then, probably Greg. So he was the best center and he wasn't getting that playing time. So maybe that would have an effect. And like you said, maybe that would, but I feel like Tony Snell, he got beaten down in Chicago, um, didn't have the trust of the staff there and then came to Milwaukee and they were like, yeah, man, you're great. You should shoot all the threes. We're going to have you play all these minutes. You're the best. And he had a breakout season. So I would assume that he would want to to come back. The only other Bucks free agent that might not want to return if that would happen would be Jason Terry. Because um, I think him and Kidd had a very good season. I guess we kind of forget yeah, about yep. Jet just because he's unrestricted. But um, as I've said before, I would not at all be shocked if he would return. But if Kid would not be here, I don't think Terry would be here for a second year. Um, so that would is it is it okay is it okay if 
my love for Jason Terry as like an end of the bench guy. Granted, he wasn't really an end of the bench guy last year, but um, but my love of Jason Terry is like the most powerful thing in the pro Jason Kidd camp. Is that weird? Am I? I'm, I feel like I'm probably not alone in feeling that way. But I yeah, that's a good point. Um, so yeah, I think I think that would be interesting. But yeah, it would more so be if the front off the front office continues to get shook up rather than just what's happened thus far. Like if Zanuck gets hired, I don't think that has any effect really on the Bucks free agents. 